Welcome to Surprise Episode 99H of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, <laughs> joined by Courtney Nguyen. I think the H sounds for <laughs> yep. or something like that, because I mean, we just wanted to do a little mini episode to wrap up the week, our week normal weekly show, um, in addition to episode 100, which is also dropping today. Oh, and it's a big extravaganza, but sort of a standalone, timeless, we didn't marble wanna, yeah, structure. Yeah, we didn't want to yeah. hook it to anything. So, But at the same time, we also didn't want to ignore the week in tennis and everything that happened because there was kind of a lot. It's interesting. We, both of us, Courtney and I, were down in Charleston for the Family Circle Cup. Uh, I just said we were both down here for that, and then I wound up getting roped into a whole bunch of uh, police shooting murder charges coverage, which was different for me, getting to work for... A section news stories because I wound up being the only person they had in Charleston for affiliated with the Times uh, when that story started to come out. So that was different and interesting and a good learning experience for sure doing that sort of a story. Um, but for the most part, the tennis was there. And after a pretty shaky start of this tournament, it looked like holy crap, this tournament is falling apart. It really sort of regained its footing and turned into a great final. Uh, uh, Angelique Kerber beating Madison Key 7-5 in the third after trailing 4-1. Uh, great match from Kerber. We talked about Kerber very recently in the show as being a slumper. Um, and this week came out of nowhere for her to string together these matches. I mean, she almost lost first match to Evgenia Rodina, which is just not impressive. And she steadied herself and won the tournament. What did you see? I guess let's start with Kerber briefly before we get to Keys, who there's more on, I think. Uh, what do you make of Angelica Kerber doing big things. I spoke to Kerber um, during All Access Hour before the tournament. Right. And I was one of the only ones because everybody else was talking to Madison Keys and uh, I think Katarina Makarova was behind me. And I literally had gotten up from speaking with uh, Caroline Garcia and I turned around and Kerber was just sitting there by herself. Uh, no reporters had con- gone over there. So I sat down, talked to her a little bit about her season so far. And what was really actually surprising to me, um, because I never thought I would hear this from an Angelique Kerber, is that she said, look, okay, yes, I've had a bad three months, but I also know that for the last three years, I've been a top 10 player. So to me, sample size, like I don't think that I'm a terrible tennis player just because I had a crappy three months. To me, it's not a problem. I'm not going to panic. And that was just shocking because we know Angelique Kerber and we know how negative she can be, how hard she can be on herself. And also, I remember having conversations with her back three years ago when she just started to break through and and was getting all those great wins and made that incredible run uh, at the U.S. Open. And I remember talking to her and saying, do you believe you're this good? And she's like, no, I don't. I mean, this is a player who, you know, you can put her into the column of a doubter. You know, along with the yeah. Petkoviches, the Keys, the Laura Robsons, you know. And you can see that in her results some. <clears throat> because you can see that in her results some because, I mean, she was 3-9 and nine in finals coming in. 0-4 oh, in 2014 in finals. Right. So, and those finals performance kind of really show confidence and, you know, doubt or just security in the mind. Like, Serena's is so good. Yeah. Serena's finals record. Gail Malvizas is terrible. Yeah. I mean, you can really judge, I think, a lot about a player's mental strength and belief in intangibles through finals record. I think it's a pretty fair metric for that, and Kerber's was bad. But in this final, she was very solid. She started out great, 
broke Kurt broke Keith right away. Keith hadn't been broken the whole tournament. Keith played shit for the first fifteen minutes of completely this match. Completely true. Let's just be completely honest about that. True. But but Kerber still did get off to a good start. Took advantage of that. Got off to first set and hung in there when things looked like they were going not her way, and turned around and won the title. So it was an impressive win for her. It sets up the Germans real nice for Fed Cup if they aren't too exhausted. Should be actually. It's, I can't remember looking forward to a Fed Cup tie more than this one coming up between Germany and mm. Russia and Sochi. In terms of things going on with Kerber, uh, Pekovic, Sharapova all in there on clay, I think it's going to be a really cool one. And so I'm actually, I think it's appointment Fed Cup television, which I don't usually say, including about finals. I don't think the tournaments, the format always makes itself that good. But this yeah. one should be real good. I agree with that. I agree with that. And uh, yeah, it'll depend a lot on, on, on the tank. It'll depend a little bit also on Russia. I mean, how... How is Maria Sharapova doing these days with that, you know, heavily strapped thigh in, in Miami? You have Kuznetsova playing at the number two spot behind her. No, Ekaterina Makarova, who said that uh, she spoke to Miskina and Miskina wanted to give her some time off because she had played Fed Cup so much in the last couple of years. I don't know if I believe that entirely, given Makarova's... Uh, pretty well-known beef uh, or feelings about uh, Maria Sharapova. Beefy feelings. Beefy feelings. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like uh, one of those, well, she plays, I'm not going to go sort of situations. Yeah, it's definitely a must-watch Fed Cup tie. Uh, very interesting comments from Andrea Petkovic, who also had a very good title defense here, losing to Kerber in the semifinals. Did well. I mean, for someone who's not used to defending titles, she really handled herself well, I thought, in Charleston. And I was telling Ben all week, I'm like, man, you could do far worse than building a tournament around Andrea Petkovic. That was Petkovic. the thing. This was a tournament that really was riding Petkovic. Yeah. I mean, Petkovic was big on the stadium, big on the billboards. Without Serena, they were really relying yeah. on her. And there was a lot of pressure on her shoulders, a lot of appearances. She had to do a lot of media. Um, yes, so there was a lot of pressure on her. And she never really dealt with that before at a tournament, I don't think. Even in Stuttgart, I don't think it's no, that No, she level. said that. She's like, I've never had to defend titles because I always got injured the year right. after. So even just the attention of it, being the sort of rock star. And there were local American fans who said, um, you know, we're cheering for Pekovic, like, yeah. loudly the whole time. She clearly had the crowd on her side. And it was cool to see that um, for her. And even Madison Keyes said at some point in the week that she thought that, yeah, she was getting crowd support, but she still thought that Pekovic was probably more popular here. Yeah. So that's pretty remarkable for an American to say that. Um, and you'll probably hear that quote later from Madison as we shift to talking about her. Madison Keyes, not known as a clay court denizen, let's say, uh, really had a very solid week here against not A-list opposition, it must be said. Didn't play, didn't beat anybody in the top 60, but was incredibly businesslike, incredibly unruffled, making it to the final of this premier clay tournament. It was not a result I think anybody saw coming especially after the bit of the meltdown she had against Sloan in the second set there in Miami. So hugely impressive week from Madison Keys. That really making a premier final that soon after the Australian Open, I think really backs up the hype, for lack of a better term, and solidifies her as being more than just a one-hit wonder. She can summon her best tennis in all sorts of circumstances. Yeah, she's an impact player. I think that I think that we can officially... Give Madison Keys that sort of uh, that sort of label, where on any given day, wherever she's placed in the draw, she can do some damage and she can break a draw open um, when she plays higher ranked players. And I think that one thing that I really was reminded of this week, being here in Charleston, watching all of Madison's matches, 
is it was a reminder as to why we watch these smaller tournaments, these early rounds at a smaller tournament, as opposed to just relying on score lines and the end of day email that tells you the results and what happened. Because on paper, yes, Madison didn't beat anyone ranked higher than 65. Highest ranked player should be, it was Lauren Davis, number 66. Um, three qualifiers all ranked outside of the top 100 and Lucy Radechka, Katarina Bondarenko, Andrea Mitu. So on that level, you're like, well, duh, like Madison's supposed to win those matches. But the way she played those matches, as aggressively as she was hitting the ball, as cleanly as she was hitting the ball, that backhand used to be a liability for Madison Keys. Yeah. It is now officially a weapon. It was big. It, it there was, was not a, massive. It was, watching in the stadium, there was not a demonstrable difference in pace. You couldn't always tell, like, if you weren't looking, like, what shot came zooming, if it was a forehand or a backhand. It was yeah. that good. I mean, really... Her the double barreled attack that she has now is pretty scary. Yeah, for everybody else involved, and obviously the forehand is still bigger and more reliable. But she's shoring up her weaknesses while strengthening her strengths. She's doing everything really well, and not that she's going to win the French Open, but that she can do this on a clay court was big and surprising to her. I think to, I talked to Lindsay Davenport for a story I did about Madison this week. Surprising a little bit to, to Lindsay that she was able to translate her success so quickly especially after the disappointment of miami and yeah it's uh it's a big big week for madison and it was a good week for her and in, in just sort of in our interactions with her too she was very grounded same sort of self-deprecating super sarcastic all the time not teenager anymore but teenagerish thing that she does and it uh she seems very comfortable in her skin and her results and her tennis now. Yeah, and, and I'm going to include some clips here of, of some of those uh, press conference moments with Madison here in Charleston. And, and one of the reasons why, I, it's something that I've kind of want to been doing, I wanted to do for a while now with her specifically, is that for a lot of fans who sit at home, read transcripts, if you're like anything like me or Ben, back when before we had access, that's all right. I did. I, I loved transcripts. And the thing about Madison Keys is when you read a Madison Keys transcript, you need to take it with a huge grain of salt and recognize that 80% of the time, she's being incredibly sarcastic. And um, it doesn't come across in black and white. In fact, sometimes, you know, you ask her a question and she's super sarcastic and, and it's funny. And then you leave the press conference and you're like, darn it, I actually needed a legitimate earnest yeah. answer to that. And yeah. I never got the quote. Um, you can usually steer her onto a track of earnest. Yeah, you can get her there. It. You can get her. And it's not that hard. She's not obstinate or oh, no, difficult no, no, no. Yeah. but it's just sort of she has this playfulness about her yeah. i think it's the best way to say it that makes it just keeping herself entertained because talking to us after every match must get really monotonous yeah. so yeah we appreciate her doing that and just wanted to share some of that entertainment value she brings us so here is madison keys talking about madison keys while rolling her eyes at madison keys Well, there have been some upsets earlier in the day. Is that, do you even notice that? Do you take notice? Does that make you go? Okay, I'm for sure going to lose today. Yeah. No, 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 no that's <laughs> not kidding. the question. But does that mean, you know, things are going strangely today and I better pick up my game or do you not even care about something? Yeah. No, I don't really focus about on it. Um, really just staying focused on myself and obviously, you know, some seeds have lost and things like that, but I think that happens every tournament. That was pretty good tonight, huh? Yeah, it wasn't bad, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, more than twice as many winners as errors, so that has to make you yes. happy. What, how, how good did you feel out there first match on play? I felt surprisingly good. Um, 
no, I just, you know, hope I can take it on into tomorrow and then continue that. But, um, you know, it's a great start. Um, played pretty well, played pretty smart, um, which I don't always do. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was a good match. There, were, there weren't very many points where I thought, okay, that was really dumb. You know, for the most part, I thought, okay, that was good playing, great job, and keep it up. So is Lindsay's job in jeopardy now because you're playing so well on Lisa? <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay has texted me and John texted me like a whole paragraph. Lindsay called me before the match and it's very much a team effort. Um, Jagger, their son, is like traumatized that he's not here. Um, he was watching on the iPad today. I got a picture of him watching my match. So, no, Lindsay has very secure in her job right now. <laughs> um, Lauren said that she knows your game like Wow. Okay. She just knows everything, doesn't she? She has me figured out. Um, can you comment on that, please? I mean, well, sh I, yeah. I mean, I guess she just knows my game like the back of her hand. I, I mean, it's... <laughs> I, we know each other really well. Um, I think that's a bold statement, but um, I agree that she knows my game pretty well. So, yeah, like the back of her hand. So, we'll see how that plays out tomorrow. Talk about not playing some parts so smart. You said the same thing yesterday, or in your first match, where you thought you played pretty smart. You made dumb things. Do you think you play will always be an internal battle between smart and dumb? Yes, always, always. Um, you know, like as the ball is coming over the net, a lot of time I'll be like, okay, hit it cross court, and then I hit it down the line. I'm like, no, that was not the right thing. Um, so it's like an internal thing where at the last minute, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, let's try the dumb one. Um, and then as soon as I hit it, it's like, that wasn't right. Okay, maybe we should go cross court. Um, so luckily this week so far, I've been leaning towards the smart side, and hopefully tomorrow I, you know, listen to my first instinct of playing the right shot. Do you think you're getting quote unquote smarter on court as you get older and more experienced? I don't want to jinx it and say yes, so I'm learning and getting better, but definitely don't have it all figured out yet. So, you make the semifinals in Australia. Confidence builder. Australia it was tough because I was hurt so it wasn't on the court as much as I wanted to be and felt like I just didn't have you know I didn't have the practice that I had had going into Australia and feeling really confident and everything so pre Indian Wells it was very rushed just trying to get met or trying to get sets and hitting and just trying to get the confidence and I don't think it was quite there um, which then Indian Wells leads straight into Miami and 
I mean, JJ and Sloan are both really good players. They've both been having some really good results. I mean, JJ made the finals, so it's not like I lost to a scrub or anything. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just having some more matches and practicing and, you know, just getting a little bit more confidence has definitely been a huge thing the last couple of weeks. So how will you and Lauren sing? Just like the back of my hand. <laughs> Not that she's more popular than me, but just, I mean, everyone loves Petco. Like, you can't not love Petco. <laughs> so, um, I feel like she's a crowd favorite everywhere she plays. Um, I mean, she's funny, and I actually, this morning, the paper, I don't know which paper, had a picture of her, and I thought it was really flattering, so I took a picture and I sent it to her. And, um, yeah, I told her it should be her new profile picture, so she see if she takes my advice on that. So you're a fan as well, then? Yes, I am, always. Did you expect me to get clay court final this year? No. <laughs> so, so how, how surprised you with this whole week? I mean, I'm, you know you're pretty good at tennis, but maybe people didn't expect clay to be your first final of the year. Yeah, I mean, um, definitely kind of surprising. I don't think the grass final surprised people as much, but, um, you know, just really happy. I think it's pretty good transition from hard court to clay court, and... Um, you know, hopefully I can just keep this up and it'll just kind of continue on on, on to the red clay. What have you learned about your game from the Asian on the surface? Um, you know, just that I can, you know, play a consistent game but also still be aggressive um, and, you know, not rushing things but also not completely changing into a clay quarter. Uh, setting the serve aside, what were you particularly pleased with today? Um, I think, you know, just staying in cross-court rallies was definitely my biggest thing. Um, you know, staying in the rally and then changing direction on the right one. Um, and then I think, you know, just moving forward and kind of taking time away. Why do you not want to stay in cross-court rallies all the time? Because that would be far too boring. And the unforced stairs that come when you change down the line on dumb balls are way more fun. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna bite me in the ass one day, but it's alright. Aside from looking the trophy and uh, match point, maybe what do you remember of that Eastern final? I remember that last game where I think I had like 27 match points, and she kept serving out wide, and I kept missing the ball in the middle of the net. Um, that's pretty much it. Well, because every single time she was going to serve on that side, I was like, okay, she's going to serve it out wide, cover it. And then she would hit it, and then I would miss it, and I'd be like, okay, totally didn't do what I just told myself to do. But, um, no, I mean, I remember the first set being really good, and I remember the second set, you know, backing off a little bit, and she kind of was able to dictate a little bit more. And then I remember the third set just was a battle, you know, back and forth, so... I mean, if she wins today, it'll definitely probably be a battle again. This week increase your expectations for the rest of the I expect to win the French Open now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I just, 
I mean, it's definitely, I can play on clay, but then again, green clay and red clay are very different. So it's still, you know, just working on my game and working on being more consistent and playing the right shots and whether it's on, you know, grass, hardcore, clouds, whatever, it has to be the same thing. That's a, a tough match, obviously, very entertaining from both of you, high quality of tennis all day long. Can you kind of talk us through it from your perspective a little bit? Um, yeah, uh, not a great first set for me. Um, I started slow, a little bit nervous, making some errors, but, you know, even even then, it was still really close. It was a game here or there, and um, I mean, at the end, she just didn't make any mistakes, and I started making a couple more, and that was really the match. Obviously not the way you wanted it to finish this week, but what can you walk away most proud of from Charles and your performance here this week? I think, um, you know, coming off of tough losses at Indian Wells in Miami and, you know, just having a great attitude and, um, you know, also just fighting today. You know, it, I could have gone away after the first set and, you know, I dug deep and still put myself in a position to win. More deflating because it was seemed to be in hand there in the third set at 4-1, uh, or do you take something that it was that close at the end? Um, I mean, yes, I was up 4-1, but at the same time, it's one break, and um, she completely lifted her level and you know it you know kind of just totally changed right then but um I mean it's it's good because I wasn't playing my best but I still you know was so close but then it also hurts a little bit more how important was it for you to back up the Australia run like having another 50 run three tournaments later for you yeah it's um I mean the expectation from other people kind of gets on me, but it's more like the internal expectation of, you know, I was playing really good tennis in Australia and I wanted to see that again. And, you know, this week I saw a lot of good tennis, so pretty happy with it. The other person I think he was actually really impressive impressed this week, and this goes back to All Access Hour, which I think we included in the previous episode we did 99G. Uh, is Jeannie Bouchard, who was not impressive on court whatsoever. She lost 6-3, 6-1 to Lauren Davis. Uh, really got blown off the court by Lauren Davis. Said impressed that she was, she felt like she was being dominated. Overpowered. Uh, yeah, overpowered by Lauren Davis. Shouldn't happen. So Jeannie Bouchard, I think we debated before, is officially in a slump right now. Um, she admits it, but she has this remarkable... Um, I don't want to say introspectiveness, but uh, sort of curiosity or or mindfulness of what she has to do to get better she is this sort of non-lackadaisical ownership of what she's doing right now which i think which i was very impressed by and you don't often see in players very mature this young it was incredible so just yeah your thoughts on that because i know you were struck by it too i was i was um because there what i what really came across to me in genie's particularly her post-match press conference after she lost to Davis, was there's a lot of players who sit at that dais after losses. And when you ask a question, even if it's not an accusatory one, even if it's not a negative one, they have this way of kind of internalizing it as though you're criticizing them as like a human being. And some of them take it really personally. People take it very personally. I mean, we're talking about every... I mean, Federer can do it. I mean, you know, Serena, Maria. I mean, a lot of different people can do it. 
So what was really striking to me with Jeannie is that she doesn't have that air about her at all. That when you ask her even a negative question, she owns it. She's like, yeah, I'm playing like crap. Like, this is not good. Like, I need to take uh, responsibility for what I'm doing and da 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 But in the delivery, there's no defensiveness about it, I suppose, which is, I guess it's just like her game. Like, she's offense, offense, <laughs> offense. You know, like, she, she doesn't drop into a defensive shell very often. That's a rare sight with Jeannie Bouchard. So... Even in the in in the press conferences, that was the same sort of uh, mentality. I think that's a very positive thing for her. Completely, you want to see somebody that's proactive. You don't, because you how many see, because yeah. how many players have we seen right who go through slumps and you ask them about it and you get this answer where you're like, you are so full of shit. <laughs> like you're so full of shit. Like you are not being genuine. And if that's first of all, if that's what you really think, you are in a problematic situation. And if that's not what you think then you've just given me a quote that's really not usable, right? Because it's like, I, I'm not going to peddle, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a false narrative, um, even if it comes from your own mouth. But I, I just, yeah, I was really kind of blown away with, with just um, the maturity and the responsibility that, that Jeannie showed. And it really does just kind of back up, you know, the flip side of what we saw, you know, at Wimbledon in terms of her swagger, in terms of how yeah. confident and how much she was like, I own this. Like one of the most disappointing things or where you would almost lose respect for a player who was like that is if then when things were going bad, they pointed the finger everybody everywhere else or like provided excuses and things like that to where like they wanted all of the attention when they're doing great. But then when they were doing bad, they were like, you know, hiding under a rock. Jeannie's Jeannie wants the attention when she's doing well. And now when she doesn't, she's not necessarily doing well. She still is like... I don't want to say it, but it's the phrase that popped in the mind. She mans up and is yeah. like, no, that's on me as well. And I respect that because that's not easy to do for anyone, let alone someone who's 21 years old. So there we go. So we were impressed with that. So here is some of Jeannie being summarily impressive. Jeannie, just a disappointing event for you. Uh, what, what happened out there? Just explain what happened. Um, yeah, I mean, I obviously hate losing, but I'm not going to be too hard on myself. I know I've been not feeling like myself on the court, so just a matter of taking time now, um, you know, not playing a tournament and, and taking some time to just train and uh, get back to feeling like myself on the court. Um, I definitely felt a little bit slow today, um, overpowered, which is never usually the case, you know, usually I'm the one dominating, so um, it's definitely uh, just, I don't know, just not, not good. Whatever happened was not good. You talked about the process after you a little bit yeah and I think it's it's almost um, not a good thing but you know you really kind of take a moment to think about what you're doing right what you're doing wrong and you know I think now is a time for me to take a step back and you know question everything I'm doing and you know make sure everything is is in order you know um, sometimes I think success masks issue, issues or problems so uh, you know you learn a lot more when you lose so if uh, if there's something I'm doing wrong or any of my team is doing wrong, I'm really, we're going to, you know, take time. I had a long talk with my coach. We're going to look at everything and, uh, you know, try to improve things for the next time. So you mentioned that you were feeling slow physically. Are you okay? Um, well, I have struggled a little bit with that lately. Um, so it's, everything's kind of just healing. But even if something doesn't hurt anymore, you know, you haven't had, you've had that lack of training. You've had that lack of match play you've had that lack of you know just the, the feelings on the court is, is so off so um, 
I think that's that's more where it's at. You know, nothing is hurting, but it's more about getting back into match play. You mentioned the success sort of masking problems. In the sense of those problems, be or what? I have so many. I mean, I'll be here for an hour if I start talking about all my problems. Um, I mean, I know I I didn't feel you know physically you know strong enough on the court today. Felt a little bit slow, like I said. Um, you know, maybe the way I I wanted to maybe rush and play another tournament instead of taking the time to prepare a little bit more. I like playing matches more, so that was my idea. But maybe it's not the right one. So it's little things like that where you gotta take a step back and think, okay, clearly you know I'm not doing something right, or someone around me isn't doing something right. So I need to find what what that is and try and make it better. And I I'm just more excited. Really, I see it as an opportunity to you know get better now and, and do something different and, and get better. As soon as I got off the court, uh, definitely a bit of anger, um, but also kind of this confusion slash like quest to find what's wrong, like this kind of searching um, feeling that okay, like I know something's off, I know something's not right, so I want to find it. And it's uh, I know so much can get better, and I know I can do better. So it kind of encourages me that you know I know I can change a lot of things. So that gives me room to improve so much. And uh, I already, you know, spoke with my coach a lot about it, and we're both, you know, believe in my game and believe in me, and it's just about, you know, waiting for the right thing to click and, and trying to find out if I'm doing something wrong, what is it, and it's more of just, yeah, just trying to figure things out a little bit, so I'm not going to take it too hard, I'm just going to see it as, okay, you know, something's going to happen now. So the other big story, probably arguably the biggest story out of Charleston, was not in the singles, but in the doubles, where Sonia Mirza and Martina Hingis won their third tournament together. They're undefeated together, sweeping Indian Wells, Miami, and Charleston, which is an incredible triple to pull off. Ridiculous. Ridiculous triple. And they did it in some style. They have one match point in the quarterfinals, I believe, in Charleston, but otherwise smooth sailing for them the whole way. And with that, they're number one in the race to Singapore. And more importantly, Sonia Mirza is number one overall in the WTA rankings, and we don't talk, we I don't know if we ever talk about Sonia on the show, but she is a badass lady. She is fucking badass. I'm just sorry. Cool. Let's just like, let's just put that out there and let everybody recognize Sonia Mirza is like, she's an icon in a way that like no one else really understands except for maybe Alina. But like she, she but in even, even more expressive than Alina, like Sonia Mirza is just kind of like punk. She is punk. That's a good call. Yeah, That's a good in this very just like, whatever, I'm going to do what I want way, where she just broke through a lot of boundaries, a lot of cultural oppression that she got for being a tennis player. I mean, she's gotten criticisms from all facets of the Indian, not all, but many facets of Indian culture, from Muslims who didn't think she should be wearing skirts, from people who were more traditionalists who thought that she shouldn't be outside playing a sport because she would get too tan and no one would want to marry her if she didn't have nice, light skin. I mean, she's gone through all sorts of bullshit. A lot of bullshit. A and lot so for her to rise above that, um, coming from India, obviously India's had double success before, but doesn't really have a tradition of women's sport at all. I mean, if you look at like their like Olympic record, they're terrible. For right. Capitals. I mean, and that's a good distinction yeah. that 
you know, when it comes to kind of distinguishing her from Lina is a really good one because China has a culture of women's sport. And sports infrastructure. And sport infrastructure, and they value winning whether or not you have a penis or not. Yeah. Whereas, like, in India, I think that, you know, I mean, Sonia Mirza has said as much that, her, you know, the minute that she wanted to become a tennis player, she's fought that battle throughout the rest of her career of people saying that that's not the that's not what women do that's not what indian women do that's not what good indian women do right all these sorts of things and so to the extent that she's like a trailblazer it's 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 what i love about it is that she doesn't she hasn't done it just by doing her thing and winning and keeping quiet but she does it by like doing her thing and blasting people yeah. with that forehand and also with her mouth and saying and pointing out the inequality and, and really using her platform to, to shine a spotlight on specifically within India, women's issues, yeah. which are massive. Yeah. A huge, anyone who reads any sort of news about that country knows how problematic the treatment of women is. In India has been various issues of, you know, rape and other things in the country are, are huge and a, a mess, for lack of a better word. And she is there. Being talk about someone who's a role model and has power to inspire and to change things. And yeah, she is right up there in terms of someone who really transcends the sport in terms of being an icon, being a leader, and being a role model. And so she had some interesting things to say, some good perspective on her milestone, games number one. So here she is talking about that. You know, when I started playing tennis, um, she was a very big star when I was a few years uh, into, I mean, maybe when I was like 10, she, even though she's not that much older to me, she just made it, you know, very quickly in her life. And, um, and funnily enough, people used to comment saying, uh, what do you think? She, she's going to become Martina Hingis. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, and they're like, what do you think? She's going to play with her? Well, like, you know, it was those kind of remarks. From that side of the world where women, obviously sport is not something that's the first thing they go to. Um, to come through all that after all these years and I mean for my family, the sacrifices we've put in, we all have a story. Every tennis player out there has, a, a, has an amazing story and um, it all just seems worth it today, um, you know. And. Um, no one can take it away from me. I'm going to be the number one in the world. When I Even 50 years from now, I'll go down as the former world number one. And um, that's something that's very, very special. And, um, yeah, and to do it the way we did it, um, you know, I, I keep emphasizing it's always great to win and get that. I mean, maybe in a couple of weeks I could have been number one if a couple of people do dropped some points. But to earn it this way, we I'm so glad we came here because we were in a bit of a double mind. Should be because it's a lot of pressure, but it's good. It, it showed that we can play under pressure. We were down match point a couple of matches ago too. And so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's still sinking in. It's, it's slowly sinking in right now, but uh, I think tomorrow morning it'll hit me. <laughs> Oh, I'm used to people rolling their eyes. <laughs> um, no, it's just, um, you know, I'm actually 
uh, writing an autobiography and uh, the working title is Against All Odds um, because that's truly what I believe uh, and as a family we've really uh, come from it's really against all odds um, you know tennis at that point when I was six years old there was no clay courts there was no hard courts we used to make play and practice on courts made out of I'm sorry but made out of cow shit <laughs> no jokes I mean that was the only court that was available so to come from there uh, and pick up a tennis racket and have the guts to say okay I am going to go and play at the highest level in the world is against all odds and um, like I said whether I got to number one or not it would have always been worth it but now today to me and myself I, I, I'm so happy to give this back to my country uh, to be the first ever, ever a number one from India. Especially also, I've been to India now a couple of times uh, in the last uh, six months. So it was, uh, yeah, it's quite a journey. I'm, I'm doing very well. India Swiss combination is very good. Yeah, for, for uh, yeah, the changing passports. And <laughs> like right now, I'm not I'm not thinking about that. But uh, Switzerland's always been good to me. But uh, no, this combo is uh, has worked very well for me lately. It is, yes. I have. I just spoke to him just before coming here. Well, I spoke to him in the morning uh, <laughs> because they're 10 hours ahead, so he's already in the evening. He's, uh, he's, in, he's in Pakistan right now. He's actually having a barbecue and cutting a cake as we speak by himself. <laughs> well, I was like, well, uh, at least he's able to enjoy it. No, um, no he's really happy. I think, um, you know, as a woman, um, after you get married, a lot of things change. Um, you know, sometimes you you want to have kids. You want to you you take a back seat. As women, we all understand that. But um, I think he's been a great source of support for me. Um, you know, he's never stopped me from doing what I wanted to. And I mean, it's you've been I've, very busy becoming number one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, and he's been extremely supportive. And um, I think it's very important. And he understands the pressures that go with highest uh, highest you know competition um, so I think that helps our relationship too and uh, yeah it just so happens it's my anniversary today five years uh, oh. gone, yeah it's gone pretty cool. fast but uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd rather be here becoming number one than be cutting a cake there so <laughs> <laughs> That it's possible. Um, you know, I'm. I'm also the. I'm the goodwill brand ambassador for the United Nations. Uh, you know, for women in in the subcontinent, and I always say anything is possible. You have to believe that, as a woman and as a girl, you are not uh, a weakness. You're a strength, and um, just that it's possible. Anything's possible if you put your mind to it. You put sacrifices to it. You put hard work to it anything's possible no matter where you're from even if that means you're you've grown up playing on courts made out of cow dung um yeah. you know and I it's become like one of the best friends yeah. women's tennis <laughs> so like it's so possible cool. and um i always i think that for me that's women empowerment yeah. and i hope that we get there one day where women believe that anything is possible 
the other tournament this week that was in North America was Houston, a ATP clay court event, a 250, um, played on sort of different clay, red hard true, uh, Charleston's played on weird clay, or quote unquote weird clay, green clay, green hard true, um, so they're not exactly totally analogous to the American, sorry, to the European and Latin American clay, I mean clay everywhere is different, but America's is particular different brand it's faster of clay. for people generally, who are generally faster quicker. generally plays more like a uh, more even like a hard court um and to that point two americans were in the final of houston which was not expected uh sam query and jack sock and jack sock won it in two tie breaks admittedly we did not see very much of this tournament courtney because we were watching we were in charleston doing charleston things but what do you make of jack sock being the first of his generation of americans i guess to break out and win an ATP title. Does it matter? Does it say anything? Um, he's had a great spring after his injury comeback. So what is what is his uh, what is his first uh, title mean to you? It's impressive. Yeah. That is for sure. I still remain perplexed by Jack Sock simply because the backhand is atrocious. The serve is great. The forehand is great. The movement is actually, I think, one. I mean, aside from the forehand, it's really Sock's most impressive thing. His ability to defend is really, really impressive. Um, and I don't know. I kind of I'm going back to what Jeannie Bouchard said after her Charleston loss, which was, I think, success masks weaknesses and um, makes you think that everything's okay. And I do worry about that a little bit when it comes to Jack Sock. I think that beating Sam Querrey, the wins that he's that Jack Sock has had in the last month since he's came back in Indian Wells have been impressive. There's no way around it. I mean, the runs to, you know, what was it, quarterfinals or fourth round? Fourth round Indian Wells, yeah. right? Um, and he's beating, like, quality top 30 guys, like, whole, you know, solid guys. Whole crap ton of doubles wins, too. Yeah, of, of course. So all that's really, really great. I just wonder a little bit if this is the Jack Sock kind of first time through where not a lot of players have seen him. I mean, obviously that doesn't apply today with with Query, who has who knows Sock's game. But with respect to the rest of the ATP tour, I think that his sheer power and the way that he hits that forehand and tries to control points with that forehand, it takes some getting used to. I mean, Roger Federer said the same thing when he beat him in Indian Wells. But... Um, Maybe on the second time around, I think people will. I, I just don't think that Sock can shrink the court so much to where he can protect that backhand. I think it's a massive liability. And so I think it's very impressive. I think there's no way that you can avoid the fact that he is the top prospect amongst the young Americans right now, even more than Ryan Harrison, who's obviously struggled but is on his way back. But weapons-wise, Sock has bigger weapons than Harry. But... um you know, I, long term, he's still he's still a hold for me. I, I don't necessarily buy into the sock hype. I'm not. I think it's just too. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen a ton of him this year. I'll admit that right away. I haven't seen it. I didn't watch a ton of him in Indy Wells. I didn't watch. I didn't watch any of him in Houston. And so it's too, it's too soon to know. It's obviously a big result and does put him at the forefront of his generation, his cohort in the American rankings, and that goes with Johnson, with Young, with Harrison, with other guy, uh, people, uh, you know, you can go lower and go like Kudla and Ryan Williams and everybody else. He's leading the pack right now, and he is having the results to back that up. Is he built to last? Physically, I don't know. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, and in terms of his game and, you know, uh, obviously mentally he's doing pretty well. He's winning a lot of tight matches, but 
physicality, maturity, all these things are still question marks. I think it's kind of too early. I wouldn't go anointing him is basically I think what we're both saying. Right. We're not going to be like, our Savior is here, Alleluia. He's the next Sampras or Agassi or even Roddick. I think that he, or even Isner at this point. I mean, I think that it's a good win, but it's a Houston win. And like I said, Ryan Sweeting also won Houston at some point. <laughs> it's not a king-making tournament. It's really not. But if he can back it up, especially on the grass, which should be good for his game, I would think. Uh, he's definitely put himself on a bit of a watch list, I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. he, he, he's got a, I mean, that forehand is a weapon, no doubt about it. But I don't think on the ATP Tour now or in the future that it's a one-weapon game that you can dominate in a way that, that, that where the forehand will be enough, I guess is what I'd say. And, um, and again, we have to say, this is all stuff, he's come flying out of the gate, effectively, in, in one five-week period. Which I didn't expect at all. With his, no one with expected his, it. With his pelvis surgery. Yeah, exactly, the pelvis. It wasn't a hip, you guys, it was a pelvis. He made that very clear. Sorry. Um, but yeah, like it's been a, five, a great five weeks, as we all know, because we all get exhausted throughout the entire course of the year. The year is more than a five-week span. So as he gets into it, as he has to, you know, because there, there are questions about his work ethic. There are questions about his mentality in a lot of ways. And, you know, those are the little whispers that you hear in the corners, you know. And so, you know, I think in that way, Sock still has a bit of ways to go in terms of proving himself as being, you know, kind of, I guess. Built to last. Yeah, champion material, I suppose. So we're not going to do like a formal rant rave thing, I think, on this show because it's a sort of mini show, and we have big episode one hundred uh, out today. Also, we don't but want to tax your time. We don't want to. We are taking up too much of your time as is, and too much of our own time. But mostly yours. We care more about. Been a good week in Charleston, I think. Generally, I think we have eaten ourselves silly, Courtney. I know that for you, getting to Husk was a monumental thing. Us getting to episode one hundred and to Husk in the same weekend, essentially, was pretty all-encompassingly glorious for yes us. there's a restaurant in charleston called husk it's it's a pretty famous restaurant at this point uh in america in terms of, of just what they do um food wise and then the execution and all that we had we had these rolls that had a whipped butter that was whipped with pork fat and honey that's all that i've ever wanted in life literally all that i've ever wanted um the food was so, so good, and it's a restaurant that, honestly, the first time that I decided to come to Charleston, it was driven by Husk. Like, I came to cover the <laughs> tournament a few years ago, primarily because I wanted to be able to go to eat at Husk, and I could not get a reservation. And we went, remember, we went to the bar instead, yeah. which was amazing. The bar at Husk is phenomenal. But it never really happened. And then this year, finally, at Indian Wells, thanks to Ben, he reminded me about this, and I booked the reservation back then for like, what was it, 9, 9.45? Yeah. Yeah, late. it was a 9.45 reservation on a Saturday night. Uh, and it totally lived up to it. I enjoyed it very, very much. It was tasty. We've eaten a lot of grits, a lot of shrimp without tails ever since your rant, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I ordered shrimp with grits, shrimp and grits once with tails. And Courtney's ordered it twice, since neither time did she get tails. Yeah. So she's just a lucky lady, I guess. <laughs> they just lack me. Even yeah. though, ironically, I'm the one that really doesn't mind having the tail on it, yeah. but whatever. Whatever. Uh, yeah, but the food in Charleston is outstanding. As a, in terms of just a place to spend a week as a yeah. vacation city, this place is pretty cool. It's, it's a very pretty city. It's very sort of seaside and 
old buildings and great, great food. So many great restaurants. Yep. Uh, it's a city that's really, its attention and its sort of appeal is really outgrowing its boundaries. I mean, there were like almost no hotel rooms left yeah. in the city. So it's a, it's a exploding city in all the best ways. And it's been a pleasure to be here with all the lovely people at the tournament yep. as well. Including very... our good friend Danny Kendall, who came through because... Ben and I had accommodations booked through Thursday, which was all great. But then we needed to book from Friday through Monday. And there was not and a single hotel within Zippo. like a 40 mile Because radius. of uh, the tennis and also the all the reporters coming in yeah. for uh, the shooting And just general coverage. tourism. I and think, tourism too. as well, because Charleston's a big tourism city. So we literally had nowhere to stay unless we wanted to pay like... 400 bucks a night and then even then when I went back to look at that that was gone yeah so it was brutal so we have to thank Danny for letting us sleep on his couch it's been it's been good so um but yeah Charleston's a great great city the tournament is wonderful I always have a really good time every single time I come here Um, and as women's tennis fans it's great to see a showcase for women only in the U.S. that is this vibrant and this sturdy and this great. I mean, the crowds weren't as big as they were when Serena was here in past years, must be said. Must be true, yeah. But still, it's the final crowd was great, probably about 85% full in a pretty sizable stadium, too. So the, the support they give for women's tennis is awesome. And it's a nice place to sort of come to at some point in your yeah, life. And, and, it's, a, it's just a nice place to be. And I have to tip my cap, too, to, also to the players. Because as much as like the fans are really great, and they are, it's also that loyalty is a bit earned. That love is earned because, for example, Yelena Yankovic pulls out of uh, her somewhat anticipated match with uh, Donka Kovinic, and uh, JJ sticks around until seven o'clock to come out on court to do it, to address the fans. And she was really actually quite heartfelt about her how bad she felt that she had to pull out. Um, and I think that that little gesture is, is appreciated. You know, the, throughout the entire week, I saw Madison Keys, Andrea Petkovic signing so many autographs, every selfie, whether courtside or outside of the tournament, they were like out there signing, doing their thing. Um, and it was, and it was impressive. And, um, you know, that sort of, uh, kind of work by the, by the players is appreciated by fans. and uh, But I don't necessarily see that at every tournament. So I don't know if it's just something in the water here in They're Charleston, the Southern hospitality or whatever it is, but the players really, really did their part um, in keeping in uh, keeping everything. No, right. I think they have good people in charge too, and Bob Moran and Eleanor Adams make things great for the players. All the players say that. So it's a good week for them and a good week for us. And we thank you guys for listening to us here for mini episode 99H. Enjoy episode 100. Block out some time for it. It's super long. Break it up. You know, nibble. (laughs) You don't need to gorge yourself on episode 100. You can if you want, but you might have digestive problems auditorily later. There's a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner there. It's all right. (laughs) All right. So with that, we'll leave you from South Carolina. Thank you guys for listening once again. If you want to follow us when you're not listening, you can follow us on Twitter, NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave reviews there. If you have questions for an upcoming show or whatever else you want to tell us, email us, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye from South Carolina, guys. We'll see you later. Go listen to episode 100. I remember being young and so brave.